Welcome to season four of the Agile Brand with Greg Kilstrom, where we discuss business agility through customer experience, employee experience, and digital transformation. I'm your host, Greg Kilstrom. The Agile World Podcast is brought to you by Tech Systems, an industry leader in full stack technology services, talent services, and real world application. For more information, go to techsystems.com. To read more about the topics discussed on this show, you can go to my website at gregkilstrom.com and read my latest articles or get a copy of my latest book, Meaningful Measurement of the Customer Experience, now available on Amazon and other retailers. My name is Greg Kilstrom, and I'm the host of the Agile World Podcast. Today, we're going to talk about agility in our systems of measurement and how we approach meaningful change in customer experience in an organization. To help me discuss this topic, I'd like to welcome Desiree Madison Biggs, Head of the U.S. Advisory Services at Teresa Monroe. Desiree, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Greg. It's great to be here with you. Yeah, looking forward to talking with you. So, um, you know, first of all, just I, I think the way that you came into the profession of customer experience is, is really interesting. So why don't you share for the audience, um, give them a sense of your background, where you started in your career, and how you got into a more formal role in CX? Sure. It's a story that I love to tell, and I guess I would start out by describing myself um, by a new term that I just got exposed to, a passionista. And a passionista is somebody who follows their passion and creates a career out of that. And so I would say um, my, my trajectory or my journey has been quite diverse. I started out as a social worker with juvenile delinquent boys, as a matter of fact, which I think made me distinctly <laughs> ready to deal with, <laughs> with the corporate yeah. world. Um, and um, from there, I moved into human resources, where I spent seven years uh, supporting a big multinational corporation. Um, and then I decided at, at some point that I really wanted to understand the customer better. And so I went to a startup company, one of the first internet service providers uh, in the country that was serving consumers before it was even a thing. And from there, I learned a lot about technology. I learned a lot about selling. And I learned a lot about customer satisfaction and what happens to sales when customer satisfaction is not so great. Um, And I kept thinking about how you create better experiences, because if you want to have profitability, if you want to have good revenue and all those things that are beneficial to uh, the whole company, you've got to have an approach that is holistic and you've got to fix things that are broken and lots of things break along the way, especially if you're making things up as you go. So I found myself eventually into a, in a director role of a sales organization and I created a customer satisfaction role. And that person was responsible for um, doing um, interviews with the new, new uh, customers that came on board. And so from there, I found that so useful. I got into business process improvement for a short time after I uh, left the sales world and um, found out from an operational perspective what it takes to fix things. And I think right about that time was when customer experience was beginning to take a form that um, was new and kind of a fresh approach and new metrics were being um, measured and utilized and experimented with, you know, NPS being right there. So I knew Fred Reichheld and um, we were a Satmetrics uh, customer at that time and they were the co-creators of it. So I was able to put some some experiments into place and I took a role on which was completely dedicated at that time it was called customer satisfaction and loyalty. So I was responsible for 
getting all the metrics in place and driving voice of customer adoption within the company and just kind of made it up from there. Great. Well, yeah, let's let's dive in then and, t- and talk a little bit more about measurement and, and customer experience. And so you, you just mentioned uh, your involvement and usage of, of net promoter score. Um, earlier in your career, you, you were using customer loyalty index and then you switched to, to NPS. Can you talk a little bit about that process and, you know, what, what was the decision or the, you know, some of the guiding um, ideas behind um, switching? I think if I were going to bottom line it, it all has to do with actionability. And while the customer loyalty index was useful in creating a metric where everybody played a part, it was less obvious who was responsible for what. And so that created a lot of either distance in the organization from the metric, or it created a lot of distance between each of the organizations. And it was hard to bring people together to decide what was going to be fixed and what was most important to be fixed and what was really the impact overall. So what, you got the CLI, what does it really mean? Right. And so when the research for net promoter came out, um, it was like, well, duh, it's all about, (laughs) you know, do your customers love you or not? Right. And what, you know, what was the science behind it? And I know, you know, after 20 years, there's been lots of pot shots taken at it and lots of people have poo-pooed it, but more have found it to be a pretty vibrant outcome metric. And um, that's what we yeah. found it to be too. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I, I'm certainly, I have, I have thoughts on, on NPS and I, I think it's valuable uh, in a number of different ways. Um, but, you know, there's also other, other measurements as well that kind of augment NPS. And I think, you know, NPS can be a great um, relative baseline, you know, in, in, in some instances to just see, you know, if you have years and years of this, of the same measurement, it's incredibly valuable to be able to see things fluctuate and everything like that. What, what would you say to an organization that, you know, they may be using, you know, something like NPS or, or CSAT or, or CES or, or other things, or maybe sometimes all of the above. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but they kind of feel like they're not, they, they need more, you know, can they, can an organization kind of be stuck in, in looking at things through a single lens? And, you know, how would you, how would you recommend that they experiment with new ways of measuring while not giving up the important legacy stuff like a, like an NPS? Yeah. You've actually raised a couple of really good points. Um, I think the most important thing is understanding the difference between KPIs and outcome metrics. And then within your outcome metrics, being really clear on what drives them and building that scaffolding towards that outcome, which is, you know, which, which customers love you and why. Um, And so if you can do that by understanding your organizational and cultural metrics, right? So your employee metrics, which are foundational, and then you have your operational metrics and like, how is your operations actually performing relative to whatever standards are appropriate? And then, you know, how do your top line metrics like customer preference, purchase intent, and all of those kinds of things, how do those show up? And then finally, how do they display themselves in outcome metrics? And one of the things that I have seen is that, well, I've seen a lot of things, but one of them is that NPS gets overused and it gets put into like process metrics and it gets put, like you NPS everything. Yeah. Um, and it's a measure of relationship. 
And if you're not measuring a relationship, you shouldn't be using NPS. You should use um, transactional relationships. And I uh, met, I'm sorry, transactional scores and metrics. Um, and you can do a transactional NPS, but it's slightly different. It doesn't adhere to the, you know, the, the principles of the overall uh, NPS. But the main thing is you have to be able to track the correlation and the causations of why your metrics are moving. And if you can build that with the help of key folks within the organization, because it's definitely a, a, a game that you play with the whole team, then you have a chance of really driving systemic change um, and changing your NPS score and other outcome metrics that you're measuring uh, in a meaningful way. Do you, do you think we'll ever move past NPS or is it not really, is that not really the right question to ask? Is it more about augmenting NPS with other things? I think that's a really good question. I think people like new and exciting things. Yeah. And I guess if you could come up with a question and the supporting statistical relevance of that question to outcomes and behaviors that are equal to or better than NPS, that could win the day. But after 20 years, NPS still is a shining star in the ability not only to measure things, but to motivate people um, to help them to understand what creates somebody who is an advocate or a promoter of your brand. I mean, like that's the holy grail for a marketing organization. It's like, okay, well, if our NPS is here, what's reasonable? What are our competitors doing? And then um, what do we need to do to get better? And does the organization understand what those things are? And do we have the mechanisms in place to capture that and to drive those changes? You know, like what are your closed loop performance metrics and your processes, right? To your inner loop, right? The individual, how do you action the feedback that you're getting and how do you communicate about those actions? And then you have your learnings from the treasure that you're given by your customers to deliver to the rest of the organization, whether it's your product um, group, whether it's your support organization, uh, and then what do they do with that information? And then how, the trickiest part, Greg, this will probably sound familiar, is that there are other competing metrics within the organization and you get yeah. people um, from different persuasions that will take pot shots at any metric or not take responsibility or they have a listening post or a channel for feedback that they just prefer. And so then right. it becomes um, the way that I've seen that resolve and have helped um, to resolve that is to show that the customers are saying the same things. They're just saying it in a, at a different level. And sometimes it's more actionable than others. Right. And so being able to tell the stories behind your customer measurements and those metrics that show uh, that's that's the art of being in the customer experience world. Talking about, there's there's some organizations that kind of, they use NPS as, I'm picking on NPS, but just because we're talking <laughs> sure. about it, but, you know, they use NPS as really their sole CX metric. And, you know, mm -hmm. there's certainly other things involved and, and certainly other things that they watch. But, you know, one sometimes feels like too few, but, you know, how do you know when they're, when you're measuring too much because there there is also the you know if you're if you have 20 kpis and, and metrics and, and things that you're paying attention to how can how can you really know if you've succeeded if you've got 20 different things that you're trying to pay attention to so yeah. what's your you know without obviously numbers and, and amounts may vary based on the size of the org and, and different different things like that but how do you know when when it's too much maybe is, is the question there 
Yes, and I think too much and the right thing is the other aspect of that. And so the way that I think about it is that if NPS is your relationship metric, then putting together a relationship survey and the analytics behind it to understand what really is correlated to customer loyalty um, is the most important thing. And from there, you can start to tease it apart and to understand um, what performance metrics within the organization, whether it's operational, whether it's financial, even employee, which one of those correlate to NPS. And then each group understands their line of sight to NPS, right? So if it's uh, the overall satisfaction with the product or if it's um, overall satisfaction with support, like where do those line up and what drives that level of satisfaction within those operations. And so everybody should understand how their frontline metrics and their organizational metrics or whatever ladder up to that NPS. And once you are able to do that, and it does take a while, by the way, um, to get that all right. Um, and I would advise any company to put the resources behind really solid analytics so that you can do the work. Otherwise, you're right, you're just going to end up with this floaty metric out there that really people go, oh, wow, our NPS went up, or oh, how sad, it went down. But if you can't tell a story about why and watch what's happening in the market and the influence on customers' brand perception, um, if you can't understand when you're understaffed in your support organization and all of your numbers go down and then you watch NPS go down, you know, three months or a month later, you know, if you can't tell that story, then you're going to get tripped up and you're not going to be very successful. Yeah, I really like that because I, I often talk about, you know, when you're building a customer centric culture, everyone should be able to have a line of sight to the customer from whatever, you know, wherever they sit basically in, in the org, mm -hmm. you know, even if they don't feel like they're, they have a relationship with the customer or their work doesn't relate to that. So I, I like that you're adding that, that, that adds a quantifiable component to that. It's not just a feeling and a, and a motivation, which are also important, but it actually adds something quantifiable, which also appeals to the, uh, the, 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 um, statistician in me, I guess. Mm -hmm. yep. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about, um, the impact of the pandemic. I mean, you know, we're, as of recording this, you know, we're 18 plus months into to the pandemic, uh, you know, impact of, of that on business and, and what does it mean from a CX perspective and what's changing and, and maybe what's not changing. Uh, so, you know, what do we need to be thinking about from a customer perspective as we, begin to, you know, fingers crossed, like as we approach a post-pandemic state of being? So the phrase that comes to mind when you ask that question is that the more things change, the more they stay the same. Yeah. And I think about customer experience and where, and its rich heritage and legacy from which it came, which is, you know, business process improvement and all of the efforts that were going on um, in the 80s and 90s for companies to deliver excellence. And so, you know, if we think about that, we have this rich heritage of change management and operational measurement and outcome metrics and everything. And we're really standing on the uh, shoulders of giants with that. And so if I think about where we need to be going now and thinking about the pandemic, I don't think 
in some ways, everything's changed, but nothing's changed. What I think has happened is we have gotten clarity on things that were a little fuzzy in the past. And even though the value chain between the employee experience and customer loyalty has been talked about for decades, I don't think it's ever been more clear where the focus needs to be. And I remember, you know, gosh, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, we were experimenting with understanding the correlation in the, uh, between employee engagement and customer loyalty, right? And now I'm seeing in this space, that's what everybody is talking about. And I think some of the drivers of the adoption have definitely been the pandemic, but even before that and during, it's been technology and the ability to do so much more at a lower cost and being able to understand really what's happening, the voice of the of the organization, the voice of the customer, and the voice of the employee, and to be able to put them together in powerful ways that tell a story that are that really make people stand up and take notice. One last question to look at that, I guess, from the inverse, the inverse angle, maybe the, the internal angle. Um, you know, we're they're calling it the great resignation, you know, the return to the office has been, you know, in some cases indefinitely delayed, or at least a, a very slow roll to, um, to, to get back in and, and stuff like that. How do you, how do what advice would you have for, for organizations that, you know, some still haven't even figured out their, their true return to the office plan. Others are, are, you know, again, delayed or, or rethinking even, how do you how do you maintain great CX while there's this kind of turmoil and turnover and uncertainty and, and stuff like that continuing? I have so much empathy for the leadership of companies that are wrestling with with how to do their businesses now. Um, what I'm excited about is that some of the um, desires of employees to work remotely to be able to have a better life harmony instead of balance, right? Because balance is kind of a strange thing when you're trying to do 50 million things at once. But to have some kind of personal and work uh, harmony. Um, So now leadership is being forced to deal with this in a way that they could have punted for years. (laughs) Right, fair (laughs) enough. So I I think that it is just a tremendous opportunities for brands to reinvent themselves around the customer experience and employee experience. And I would guess, I haven't seen research per se, I'm sure it's out there, but the companies that are doing it the best where employees are the happiest are actually haven't seen a decline in their customer experience at all. They've actually maybe even seen a more positive uh, incline yeah, in their measurements. Yeah. And so it's really back to that, you know, what um, changes stays the same it's like, it's about the human experience and it's really about service. Like how do I in human resources serve the product organization such that they can be successful? How do I in the product group um, develop in a way that the support organization can be successful and not cost, you know, the business its bottom line (laughs) because they're always trying to fix everything, right? right? Like how do we come together as human beings serving other human beings and make the world a better place. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I do think that 
you know, to, to take the optimistic and, and positive standpoint on, on the, you know, the last year and a half or so is I think we've all, or at least most people have learned a bit of empathy for, for others and, and their situations. And so I, I think even the customers are more empathetic to those employees. And, you know, that doesn't mean customers are still, I think they're expecting better experience and more personalization and, and you know, more of everything and quicker and everything. But at the same time, there's a bit of empathy for, um, you know, companies that treat their employees well. I mean, I think there was that already, you know, there, there was kind of shifts towards even paying attention to how a company treats their employees a bit more. Um, I see that increasing as well. Would you agree? Yeah, definitely. And, you know, as you were talking, I was thinking about um, some experiences that I've had as a customer recently, um, which has highlighted one of my concerns, several of my concerns, but this is a big one. And that is that, that we allow technology and automation to supplant the human experience such that it actually creates more friction than it does resolution. And um, the sense of anonymity that comes with some artificial intelligence uh, implementations is just horrible and it's isolating and it absolutely will divorce you from your customer base, particularly when things go awry. And we all know that we create policies, we do hiring, uh, we do all these things that help create a business and it doesn't always work that great. Right. And it's constantly trying to you're trying to catch up or you're trying to be better, et cetera. But if you don't have accurate measurements that help you to understand where your automation is working well for your customers relationships or not, that is going to be the one that trips you up probably more so than anything else, because customers will leave you and you'll never know until you see your leaky bucket so full of holes, it'll look like Swiss cheese, you know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And uh, I, I love that you also brought it back to measurement. Um, that's, that's, that's a great way to, to come full circle here. Well, Desiree, thanks so much for joining the show. I uh, really, really enjoyed talking with you here. Um, for those listening, uh, what's the best way for them to keep up with what you're doing? Well, you can see me on LinkedIn. At um, and my uh, hashtag is well, that's not really my hashtag, but it's feedback diva, or it's Desiree Madison Biggs. Um, that's where I do a lot of my posting, uh, and you'll also see me working with a whole lot of different customers out there. Greg, thanks so much for having me here. Wonderful, yeah, absolutely. Well, again, I'd like to thank Desiree Madison Biggs, head of U.S. Advisory Services at Teresa Monroe, for joining the show. Thanks again for listening to the Agile Brand with Greg Kilstrom podcast brought to you by Tech Systems. If you enjoyed the show, please take a minute to subscribe on your podcast channel of choice and leave us a rating so that others can find the show more easily. You can access more episodes of the show at www.theagilebrand.show. To get a copy of my latest book, Meaningful Measurement of the Customer Experience, visit my website at gregkilstrom.com. Until next week, stay agile.